0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Jesus taught us that life is a gift from God. It's not accidental, random, purposeless, or meaningless. Life means something, and it means knowing God. That's the meaning of life. People are asking today, well, you know, what, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to know God.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his series, Jesus Encounters. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 18, verses 23 through 38, as he examines an encounter between Jesus and the cynic. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: So today we come to this story looking at Pontius Pilate and uh, the conversation that he and Jesus have there. And I think that this is very uh, applicable in our day and age. There are many cynical people in the world around us today. And so Jesus, he wants to reach the cynic as well. He wants to appeal to the cynic. Now, a cynic is a person... Who has been jaded by experience and their experience has has caused them to be very suspect of any claim of, of virtue or goodness or even truth? a cynic is the, the kind of person who, uh, at the suggestion that you might have um, you know, perhaps true love, or there might be absolute truth. A cynic is a person that just sort of, you know, they roll their eyes, they they sort of shake their head, they snicker, that, that anyone would actually think that that is even a possibility. Uh, the difference between a skeptic and a cynic is that the skeptical person, it, usually their problems are intellectually based. So if it's a matter of needing information. It's a matter of needing to get the facts. So sometimes a skeptic, uh, once, they, once they become aware of the facts, they can move away from their skepticism. It's, it's more of a, a head issue. But the cynic is different because the cynic is a person who's, it's more of a heart issue. It's more of something, they have seen something that has jaded them And as a result of that, they've become, in a sense, they've become biased, and and therefore they've, they've lost their objectivity. So Pilate was a cynic. You see, Pilate knew firsthand the intrigues and the corruption of Roman and Jewish politics. And he had also seen, up close and personal, the the underbelly, if you will, of Judaism. And now remember the the Jewish claim, and it's a legitimate claim, uh, was that Judaism was the religion of the one true God, Yahweh. But the priest and the leaders of the nation were so thoroughly corrupted that Pilate, having firsthand experience with that, would really just completely dismiss or scoff at, or he would roll his eyes at the suggestion that that what he saw there could have been true. And so for Pilate, the idea of absolute moral and spiritual truth was in the end a joke. And, and there are people all around us like that today. There are people today who have been jaded through experiences with religion And therefore, they are extremely cynical when it comes to any uh, truth claim, especially a truth claim that's connected to faith. Perhaps you know someone like that. Here's the question. How do we respond to the cynic? Do we just leave them alone? Just say, well, you know, there's no way they're ever going to listen to a word we say. There's no ground of appeal to them. What do we do with the person who is a cynic? Well, I believe that we give them the truth, but not just the truth philosophically. We give them the truth incarnationally. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, Giving them the truth philosophically, I think that we should challenge people who say that there is no such thing as truth or absolute truth. I think we should challenge the relativism in the culture. I I think we should push back against that with good philosophical arguments, and there certainly are plenty of good philosophical arguments for that. Now, one of the main philosophical debates in the culture today, and, and it's a debate that's been around a long time, is whether truth is relative, which means whatever each individual or the culture collectively believes to be true is the truth, Or is truth objective and absolute, which means that the truth is outside of us, it is fixed, and it is unalterable regardless of what we think or feel. Now, we're actually at a point in Western civilization where there's a new idea now that's being floated of post-truth. And this this is the extreme end of relativism post-truth is the idea that truth is whatever you feel it to be, regardless of the facts. So it used to be that uh, you know somebody might think the truth was one thing, but then the facts would push back against that and and whether they agreed or not, they kind of had to concede that, okay, well th- these are the facts but but now, post- truth, and it's not just a thing that you know a few crazy people are thinking here and there. It's, it's a thing that a, a lot of people are thinking. The Oxford Dictionary actually, they placed the word post-truth in the dictionary and gave a definition, which is uh, truth that is not based on fact, but based on what a person felt was true, regardless of the facts. So that, that's pretty crazy in and of itself, but that's the place that we have arrived at in our culture. So I do think that there's a legitimate place to push back against that. I think we should push back against that. But here's the problem. The problem is, even when you push back against it, a lot of times you just end up in a polarized situation because even though people will concede that it doesn't really make sense practically, they still will tenaciously hold on to it. The most ardent moral relativist on any university campus, the person who says, you know, whatever is right in your own eyes, nobody can tell you what's right or wrong, nobody can judge you, 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 whatever, you know, whatever you believe to be true is true, the person who holds most strongly to that will simultaneously tell you in no uncertain terms that racism, sexism, homophobia... Uh, that all of this is wrong for everyone. But the problem is, well, if relativism is true and you decide what's right or wrong, then how do you say that the person who holds to these particular ideas is wrong? So even those who hold tenaciously to a moral relativism, they recognize the problem philosophically and practically, but it doesn't matter. They still hold to it anyway. So since that's the case, like I said, I think it's good to push back against it, but you might end up just in, you know, this sort of endless pushing back and forth and never never gain any ground. The thing that we need to remember, especially us, we need to remember that truth is not just propositional truth is not just in that abstract philosophical sense we need to remember that truth is incarnational and the incarnational truth is no one other than Jesus Christ himself we we can't forget that so in our dealings with the the cynical person we need to always bring Jesus into the equation. Incarnational truth brings a living person into the equation. And we can't afford to to not do that. A friend of mine named Andy Bannister who wrote a book called The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. Great book, by the way, if you want to read a fun book on uh, the subject of atheism. Andy said this uh, recently in in a tweet that I read. He said, the central claim of the Bible is that truth is a person to be known, not a set of facts to be memorized. See, that's something that we need to remember. At the end of the day, ultimate final truth is a person to be known. So you see, if I'm in a in a conversation, or if I'm in a debate, or if I'm trying to convince somebody who holds to this idea of of relativism, if I'm trying to convince them that there is absolute truth, like I said, I might go back and forth with one argument after another, but that can largely just be a waste of time. There has to be a moment where we bring Jesus into that conversation. And we have to remember that we are preaching Jesus Christ. We're not preaching our church or our denomination or, or even Christianity in the, like a creedal sense. We have to present the faith as a living person. And that's what happened in the story here that we read about. Pilate is the cynic. And there, as Jesus is brought before Pilate, and Pilate begins to question him, Jesus just takes him right to the, the heart of the issue, and that is the issue of truth. Look at verses 37 and 38 again. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? Well, let me back up. Let me go to Verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew, your own nation? And the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So Jesus just takes him right to the the central issue, the truth. Now, Jesus... When I was saying earlier about incarnational truth, Jesus is. He is incarnational means in the flesh. Jesus is the embodiment of the truth. And we know that from many of the statements of scripture, the statements of Jesus himself. Remember in John fourteen six, the famous passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus claims there to be the truth. But when he claims to be the truth, what, what does that entail? What is that all about? Well, there are a number of things, and I wanna just briefly walk us through these things. He is number one, the truth about God. There's a great mystery surrounding God, right? There's all kinds of theories and ideas and confusion. You know, who is God? Is there a God? If there is a God, what is he like? Well, Jesus, He's the truth about God because he is, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in the first chapter, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his person. He is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus himself would say in that same context there in John chapter 14, he would say to Philip who said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied Jesus said have I been with you so long Philip and you have not recognized me he that has seen me has seen the father so you see it's through Jesus that we find out the truth about God we we see God in Jesus we see who the father is in Jesus and through Jesus we see that God is full of mercy and he's full of grace toward sinful men and women. And so Jesus is the truth about God, but he's also the truth about mankind. You see, Jesus didn't only come to show us what God is like, but he came to also live out what God intended for us as human beings. So Jesus is the, the perfect representation of God but he's also the perfect rep- representation of mankind. And what do we see with Jesus? We see that man was created to live in a loving, personal, father-child relationship with God. That's what, that's what Jesus shows us. Remember at that point where Jesus, it says it, and, and he cried out, Abba, Father. And that's that, that intimate expression that a child would speak toward their father. So Jesus comes to show us that this is what man was intended to be, living in a relationship with God, having this parental, this parent-child relationship. You know, even thinking of just those terms, you know, father-child, parent-child, of course, the mother reflects some of the, the attributes and the nature of God. You know, when you have a father and a mother, you've got the, the combined sort of attributes of God. You've got, generally speaking, you know, the strength and, and the firmness of God seen in the father. You've got the tenderness and the compassion and the love seen in the mother. And, and those things are, are blended together in God. And that's the reality that Jesus brought to us with God. Jesus came to show us that man is intended to live in this this beautiful relationship with the Father, where the Father loves us and the Father provides for us and the Father protects us and the Father has a plan for us and all of those beautiful things. So he is the truth about mankind. Jesus is also the truth about life. He's the truth about life. The big question is, well, what what is life about anyway? Well, the scripture tells us that in Christ was life. Life is in him. Life, life exists because of him. And the life was the light of men. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus taught us that life is a gift from God. It's not accidental, random, purposeless, or meaningless. Life means something, and it means knowing God. That's the meaning of life. People are asking today, well, you know, what, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to know God and to cultivate that relationship with him where we, we come to know him in ever-increasing depth as, as time goes on. And then all throughout eternity, as we eventually end up there with him, it's just this endless growth in our understanding of the glory and the greatness of God. Then that just inspires me to to want to serve him. And it's in serving him that I find true purpose in life. And so we have the truth about what, Life is all about. We also have the in Christ the truth about love. That love is not what it's so often portrayed to be, just mere sentimentalism. But love is, is sacrificial. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his one and only Son. And then that one and only Son would say to His disciples, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's the sacrificial love. And through Christ, we understand what love really is. And through Christ, we also understand the truth about time and eternity. Time and eternity. What do, we, what do we learn from Christ about that? Well, we learn this. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. All things begin and end in him. So these are the things, when Jesus said, I am the truth, and we could continue to probably broaden this out and include other things. But suffice it to say, when Jesus said, I am the truth, these are the things that he's talking about. Truth has been defined as that which corresponds to reality. That's a definition that some people give of truth, and I think it's a good one. That which corresponds to reality. Jesus Christ is the ultimate reality. He, he's the ultimate reality. When everything else is said and done, he's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. It all started with him. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Uh, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. That's John chapter one. So everything started with him and everything will conclude with him. So he is the ultimate reality. Everything he claimed, taught, did, and promised to do is true. Everything that he did, it's all true. Everything that he taught, everything that he said, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. It's certain. It's fixed. It's unalterable. It cannot be anything other than what reality is and will be. Everything that he promised as well. Everything he promised to do is true. You know, the gospels are historical records. And nobody to this day has ever, in a, attempts over hundreds of years, nobody has ever disproved one statement in the gospels. No one. So it's an accurate historical record. Jesus claims to be God. God and he's got the credentials. He does all the things that you would think that God does. He has power over nature. He calms the sea. He speaks to the wind, and it stops, and the waves are calm. He takes loaves and fishes, and he multiplies them to feed a multitude of people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He raises the dead. These are the things that if there's a God, these are the things. If He came to the to the earth, these are the things you expect Him to do. Well, Jesus did it all, and so that's what we bring to the debate on whether there is truth. We just we interject Jesus into that debate, and then people have to grapple with Him. You know, I find this is just for me, but I find these days when it comes to arguing politics or when it comes to arguing philosophies and theories, I, I just I am not inclined to do that these days. I I just, I want to get right to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is Jesus Christ. Because he said, I am the truth. So you deal with that. You, You handle that. You wrestle with that. Because that's his claim. And all of the evidence points in that direction. And so as the servants of Christ... Let's remember that all this, although the cynics might not at all respond to a, an eloquent argument on the reason why there is absolute truth, although the cynics might not want to hear about, you know, even religion or, you know, Christianity as this, you know, thing in history, Jesus can step in. And the wonderful reality is that we're not just talking about a person who lived 2,000 years ago. We're talking about a person who lives today. So when you bring Jesus into the conversation, you really bring Jesus into the conversation. He comes in himself. That's the great thing. That has just brought me so much peace over the years, you know, that you know I can only do so much in a in a conversation or a debate or an argument or whatever. I can only do so much. but I, I'm not responsible in the end. Ultimately, that's the, that's the job of Christ.
0: Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. Jesus has become a stranger to today's culture. Many do not know who he truly is, and many have never even heard of him. Our culture wonders was Jesus even a real historical person? And why does it even matter if Jesus lived at all? And if he did, what does that mean for you and me personally? These are just some of the questions that Rebecca McLaughlin tackles in her new book, Confronting Jesus. In this book, you'll learn who Jesus is and what that means for you. If you want to know more about Jesus and why knowing who he is is the most important question in life you'll ever have to answer, or if you know someone who needs to know who Jesus is, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series, Jesus Encounters. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.